My goal every single time we meet together on a Wednesday night is that we would study God's word, that it would help us to see, one, who is God like, and two, that we would come to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Listen, my aim and my goal as a youth pastor isn't just to give you some good advice. Can, can, I, can I be honest? Like You can go pay people for good advice. You can go to Barnes & Noble, and there is books upon books upon books of good advice. But do you know what I get to do with you guys and why I really love my job? is I get to give you good news. Right? Good news is different than good advice. Good advice means that you have to do something. Like, hey, um, I really want to get a six-pack. How do I go about doing that? Well, let me give you some advice. Um, pretty much eat like a robot, just broccoli and chicken and run six miles a day and do a lot of abs and maybe get a six-pack. Okay? That's good advice. And with that advice, what do you do? You go and do this stuff. But if I give you good news, you get to respond by just believing, by taking it in, by knowing that this is good. And guys, the life that we have in Christ... It's good news that our sins are forgiven. Uh, because Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died on the cross for our sins, we know that we can have a real hope, which means that my best days are always ahead of me. And so, so far in the book of Genesis, we took a little bit of a break. We talked about union with Christ. We kind of saw the beginning of the story. And what was the beginning of the story? That in Genesis 1.1, the uncreated creator, what did he do? God spoke all of his beautiful creation into existence by just his words. Are any of you guys um, Chronicles of Narnia fans? Have you guys, who here has like, read the series? Yeah. Um, the Magician's Nephew, which is like the prequel. There's a really cool moment in that book where they have the rings and they hop into this random pool. It leads into this weird world that was kind of cold and dark. But the more they kind of explored around, they began to hear this song play. And they noticed this, this song that the pitch was going up and down. And the longer they were there, the brighter it got and the warmer it got. And they began to notice something in the, in the backgrounds, that when the notes would go high in this song, they would, they would see mountain ranges forming. And when the notes would go low, they would see valleys forming. And what they got a picture into was Aslan singing creation of Narnia into existence. The picture of our God, who maybe he just said the words, but I do believe C.S. Lewis there, that God sang all of his beautiful creation into existence. I especially think when he's looking in the Pacific Northwest, all the volcanoes right there, that he had a special little note just for where we live. But yet something happened in God's beautiful creation. Man chose to be independent of God. They chose to define good and evil for themselves. They chose really to doubt the goodness of their creator. And by doing a very small act of taking a fruit that was forbidden for them, heinous sin entered into God's beautiful and perfect creation. And the rest of the story has been this. God extends grace, men rebel. Cain killed his brother Abel. God sent a flood 
And again and again and again, we see the Tower of Babel. Men live for their own name. But God is never going to give up on his creation. He's never going to give up on his image bearers. And so today we finally get to Genesis 12, where the story really picks up. Can I just say something really quick? The book of Genesis is 50 chapters long. Pretty big book, right? And compared to all the books in the Bible, it's a rather long one. But can I tell you something? Out of 50 chapters, 12 of those chapters deal with the introduction, but 38 of them deal with one family, okay? So a lot of people, can I be honest with you, they spend a lot of time in Genesis 1 through 11. And we, we did too, kind of. And there's some important things there. But if you're going to write a book, I don't know, maybe some of you guys will one day be an author. If you wrote a book and you had 50 chapters in your book, and 12 chapters were about the introductory context, setting up the rest of the book, and 38 chapters were on what you really wanted to communicate, would you be a little weirded out that everyone only read the first 12 chapters and never the 38 after? And that's really kind of what happens a lot in Genesis. Can I tell you something? That most of the story is about this one big family. And this family all begins really with this guy named Abram who later gets called Abraham. And we learn about Abram and his wife, Sarai, who, get rena- who she gets renamed as Sarah. And they have a son named Isaac, and we learn about him and his family. And we learn about Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, who gets renamed Israel. Israel. And we learn about his 12 sons, and particularly his son named Joseph. And here's what we're going to see through chapters 12 through 50, how God uses this very ordinary, dysfunctional family to bring hope to all the nations of the earth. So can I I say something? A lot of people have said that Genesis 12, 1 through 4, is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. Just do me a favor. Look at your Bible for a second. It's pretty thick. There's a lot of pages on it. Some of them, the words are spaced a little differently than other books and parts of the Bible. But out of this whole book, the passage we're looking at tonight, people say it is the most important part of the Bible. Now, I think all of God's word is important, and I don't want to like elevate one part over the other. But without understanding of Genesis 12, we might miss the whole storyline of the Bible. Because whether you know it or not, the Bible is not just a collection of tiny little books. It is that, but even through all those different books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First, Second Samuel, all those books, do you know what's happening? There is one story being told throughout, and it's a story about Jesus. So tonight, we're going to look briefly... Now, what do we learn from this really important chapter where God calls Abram? So do me a favor, look down at Genesis chapter 11. We're going to read a few verses before to get some context. So Genesis chapter 11, that's going to be probably in the first 15 pages or so in your Bible. And find Genesis 11 and then find the little 27. Genesis eleven twenty-seven. So like I said, we'll read a little bit of the context and we'll jump into chapter 12. So let me read it for us out loud. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. 
Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcai, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcai and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his sons Abram's his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Chapter twelve, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, let me pray for us and we'll jump into this passage of scripture. Heavenly Father, we ask now just in humility, Lord, teach us about who you are. Help us to see and savor Christ. We pray this in his wonderful name. Amen. Once upon a time when I lived in Chicago, I had um, a really interesting part-time job where I would park cars for fancy restaurants and it was a, it was a job. Um, not all jobs are super enjoyable. And there's times where I like that part of the job, uh, or I just like that job, and there's parts where I just didn't like it at all. But one thing that I, I did like was I would work with a lot of different people, so I got to like meet a lot of different people, and, and there'd be times in the night where nothing was happening, no one was coming, no one was leaving, and we'd have long conversations. And one night, um, I knew a guy, his name was Josh, he was a lawyer, and so he was starting his own practice, and so as like a startup attorney. He didn't have a lot of clients, so he would work as a lawyer from eight to five. And then really to pay his bills, he would come do the job that I had. And he was a workaholic, but he was a really smart guy. He went to, I think, Michigan State. And one night, we were just talking about life. And, and I really just felt like I, I wanted to talk to Josh about Jesus. And so I said, hey, man, like, I'm curious, like, you're from the Midwest, you seem like a nice guy, like, do you, do you believe in Jesus at all? Like, has anyone ever actually shared this with you? And he began to say, like, yeah, you know, I kind of grew up in church, and I heard, like, all the Bible stories about Noah and the flood, and, you know, Jesus and the cross, and, I mean, even from, like, a young age, I was kind of like, do people really believe this stuff? Like, when I read about the Bible, it's, like, on par with, like, Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. And he, and he, and he kind of looked at me and he said, like, you know, you are one of those Moody guys. And that was a school I went to, Moody Bible Institute. And a lot of us guys were studying to be pastors or missionaries. And, and so he'd see a lot of us. And he's like, I just don't get it. You guys seem cool and nice and normal. But I'm like, but you're, you're living your life off of something that just seems so bonkers, so crazy. And I remember kind of being a little shocked there for a second. And, and, I, and I just, I, in that moment, I just said, you know, Josh, I want you to know something too. I'm an unbeliever as well. I don't believe in fairy tales. I don't believe in the gods of the north. I don't, I don't believe, um, 
in things that aren't logical. I don't just kind of believe that um, if I put cheese wrapped up in the basement that two weeks later that you'll get mice. Because people used to think that's how mice were born. You wrap up cheese and you put it in the corner and two weeks later there'd be mice around it. That's how they thought mice were conceived. Kind of weird, right? And I kind of told them, like, I don't, I don't believe in Star Wars and the Force, and, but I do believe in a person named Jesus who lived as a man in ancient Palestine under Roman occupation, and I believe who he said he was. And I think sometimes, can I be honest with you guys, the world we live in, we sometimes, they, they, sometimes people in our world think that having faith means that we kind of hold on to these silly midwife theories about Jesus and God, and do you really believe that all these miracles happen? And I just want you to know something, that the faith we hold on to is not on par with fairy tales. It is something that is grounded in history. And what I, what I want to show tonight a little bit is, is what faith is. Because I, I'm afraid that some of us may eventually grow up to think that faith is a lot like believing in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus. And it's not that. So we're going to talk about faith, but I like to frame it in this way. This passage teaches us three things about God and how we're supposed to respond to him by faith. Three things we learn about God. So the first thing is this, is that God initiates the relationship with us. Do me a favor, look back down at Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Now, um, there is a woman in our church. She helps out with the high school group. Her name is Terah. Um, I, you all know her daughter. Her daughter is Ella, who is not here tonight. Aww. Ella's mom's name is Terah. And what's interesting, uh, so when we preach this passage on... Um, Sunday night, I asked her, like, how do you feel about being named after a man? And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's interesting about this Terah is that Terah is actually the word for star. And what we can kind of imply then is that this generation of Terah who had a few sons, and one of them being Abram, is that they were polytheistic, that they believed in multiple gods. And that Terra meant they probably worshipped the stars, the star gods, whatever, you know. And so, in essence, what we kind of see here in 1127 is that the flood happens, a few generations go by, and we already are back to the point of where humankind has already forgotten about their creator. See, remember, God took Noah, who was what? He was righteous. And he saved his house and his sons. And imagine, okay, okay, we get to start all over with the flood. All right, now I'm going to teach my kids. You'll teach your kids. But what happens? Slowly but surely, what begins to happen? Men walk away from their creator and they define right and wrong for themselves. So God, we find himself here initiating the relationship. No one knew about God. And so what does God do? He plucks out Abram for himself. Have you guys ever been to school? This is a rhetorical question, so you can just... Uh, I haven't finished the question yet. Like, yeah, I've been to school. Um, 
This is a rhetorical question. Just think about it yourself. But have you ever been at school or maybe at your house and you just maybe felt a little lonely? Have you ever, um, rhetorical, so I just think about it, right? Yes. Have you ever been someone who maybe felt that your friends don't put as much effort into the relationship as you do? Have you ever felt like a friend would rather hang out with someone if they have the opportunity and that you're just kind of a, a close second? Have you ever walked into a room and saw everyone else talking to each other and kind of didn't really know if you fit in? And, you know, I'll be honest, I've been guilty at times where I've walked into a room and I've been kind of scared of the people, and so I, I'll pretend to take a phone call. I'll just kind of glance at my phone. I think at some point in our lives, we'll run into the person who we've met three times, and they still ask what our name is. And you kind of ask yourself, like, am I a super forgettable person? Because I've met this person like four times, yet they keep forgetting who I am. And I think what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is I think sometimes in our human relationships we can at times feel that people aren't always as reliable as you'd like them to be. That friends don't always initiate the friendship, that you have to be the one. But can I just tell you something about God? God is always the person in your life who takes the first step towards you. God is always the person who draws near to you before you draw near to him. Let me tell you something, middle schoolers, listen. If there's ever been a time in your life where in your heart you wanted to pray or you wanted to sing to God, if there was ever a time in your life where you actually wanted to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus, can I just say something? That's because God drew you to himself. If you were here right now at youth group, it's actually because God is drawing you into a relationship with him. The Bible is very, very clear on this. That we are not the ones who kind of come up with the courage or the strength and I'm going to believe in God just because. But rather, it's actually God who's saying, no, 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 listen. You're in a hopeless situation, but I'm still coming towards you. Do you know why Christmas is so meaningful and special? It's because God came to us. We saw last time we were in Genesis that, that people, they want to build their tower up to heaven. We want to build, we want to find our own way to our own salvation. But what do we know? That salvation must come down to us. And so God coming to Abram, he's saying, listen, I'm the one who initiates the relationship. I am the one who calls you. I am the one who gives you faith. I am the one who brings you into my fold. I am the one who calls you and you hear my voice and you respond. I am the one who always initiates, who always knows you, who knows every single hair on your head. That is the God who called Abram and who is calling you. God initiates. What does that mean for you? What should that cause in your heart? One, I think it should cause some humility. That if we know it is God who initiates and God who calls and God who is asking us to come in and we're not doing it, we should just, in humility, 
have a thankful heart. That God, I'm here because you drew me to yourself. God, I'm a Christian because you called me before the foundations of the world. It should bring joy to our hearts to know that God always has our back, that he always wants a relationship with you. I, I don't know about you guys, but listen, there are times where I get sad about how people treat me. It's hard sometimes when you feel like friends don't care as much about you as you care about them. But you want to know the, the, the good news I get to share with you? Is that it's never true with Jesus. Jesus is always the one taking the first step towards you. And he's waiting for you to respond. So we respond to God and his initiating relationship by believing. By saying, yes, I'll come. And so the, the second thing we learn from this story is that God desires for his people to trust him. To trust him. Now, now do me a favor here. Look down at chapter 12, verse 1. Right, this is like the, the real meat of the story. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, which is your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now let me ask you a question. How did Abram know that God was going to do this? How was Abram confident to know, like, okay, if I leave behind everything that I know, I'm leaving the people I love and know, the customs, the culture, everything that I know about life, you're calling me to leave and to go to some foreign land for this vague promise that you're going to make me great? How, how was Abram, who used to worship the stars, who's now hearing from this voice of God, Supposed to know for sure. Well, let me tell you. He couldn't know for sure. There's no way for Abram to have known that God was going to come through with his word. Which is why Abram had to what? He had to trust God. You see, let me, let me tell you something. Um, in this passage, God is not telling us, he's not telling you, that you need to leave America, that you need to leave your family, that you need to go to some foreign country, maybe Japan, maybe Saudi Arabia, and you will go there and then God will make you great. That, that is not what God is calling us to do. But what is God calling us to do? God at times calls us to do really hard things and to trust him. Right? God says, hey, listen, don't live for this world. Don't store up treasures for yourself. Store up, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's a hard thing to do. But what is God asking his people to do? To trust him. You see, let me just say something here. God is establishing a new principle for how his people to relate to him. And here it is. It's faith. It's trust. It's dependence. Let's, 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 let's do a practical way of thinking about this for a second, okay? Uh, maybe it's your sin of choice, but we'll, we'll, just, we'll just call it as it is, okay? You're taking a test. But you know that this grade is really, really important. And you're taking the test, and you're not sure about a few answers towards the end of the test. The teacher isn't looking, and there's a kid right next to you, and it's the, the, the smart kid, 
right next to you. And he's done with the test, and he's reading a book, and his answers, are, the Scantron, are just boom. You ate carrots that morning, and your eyesight is like 20-20, right? You don't even have to do, like, the whole, like, you know, the twisty-roo, like, kind of glancing, like, uh, one of those things we used to do in school. His, like, answers are just boom. I'm just going to copy off this test. Right? Then you got like, you know, like the cartoons. They have like the good angel and the, 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 the devil. Right? The good angel's like, ah, don't do it. Jesus said not to cheat. You know? The devil's like, do it. No one will know. And you have this like, back and forth, back and forth. What is, what is God calling you to do in that moment? He's calling you to trust him that what he says about you is more important than the grade you get. God is saying, hey, listen, I'm sure math is important, but who you are as a person and what I say about you is way more important. And so do you know what, do you know what God would, would kind of be trying to say to you in this moment? Just trust me that it'll be okay. That even if you fail, that even if your parents get really mad, that even if your pride is wounded, trust me. Trust me. Abram had to take a big leap of faith. He was asked to to completely turn his life around, go somewhere where he had no idea what was going to happen. But he trusted God. He went. Look at verse 4. Chapter 12, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. He obeyed God. He trusted him, even when he didn't know. Now, guys, listen. When it comes to our faith, we don't believe in some fairy tale. But we are called to have faith. Right? Can I, can I be honest with you? I cannot tell you with 100% certainty that Jesus died on the cross. Want to know why? Because I wasn't there. I was not there. But that doesn't mean that it's an illogical thing to believe, that there are plenty of evidences supporting it. But at the end of the day, what, we're called, what are we called to do? To trust. To trust. What do we learn about God? One, that he initiates relationship. Two, that he wants us to relate to him by faith. But thirdly, what do we learn about God? This is really interesting. There's this word that keeps getting repeated again and again and again with God's conversation with Abram. Look at verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will what? Bless. Look at verse 2. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And at the very end, and in, in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, there's this hashtag that we people say all the time. I think Jimmy Fallon might have started it. Hashtag blessed, right? Um, the problem with that word bless, blessing is it's... Depending on the person, um, blessing can mean so many different things, right? I think when most people say, I'm blessed, I'll hear a lot of Christians say, 
Well, God has really just blessed you with a lot of finances, a lot of money. Like, we have a really nice home. God has blessed us. I have a really nice car. God has blessed me. And the problem is that we typically seem to think that blessing is just material blessings. But, but let's, let's be clear here for a second. Look, look for a second at verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we'll, think, we'll fast forward really quick to the end of the story. There's a guy named Joseph. What happens when Joseph is in Egypt? Anyone know? Say it out loud. Uh, he becomes second in and why does he become second in command? And what was the dream about? Um, a famine. There we go. A famine happens. And Joseph actually helps Egypt come up with a plan. Guess what? You ready for it? To save all of the nations. And so in Joseph, do you know what we see? We see a small fulfillment of this. That in you, Abram, in your family, all the other families of the earth will be blessed. And Joseph is a partial fulfillment of that. I don't have time right now, but Matthew 1, you know what we see? We see a genealogy. You think, oh my gosh, genealogy is so boring. But what does that genealogy show us? That from Abram to David, there's 14 generations. And then from David all the way down, 14 more generations, we finally get to Jesus. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know what that means? That it is through Abram's family, the blessing of all blessings will come. Christ himself. Let me tell you, here's my point. Almost done. God wants to bless you. It's the third thing we learn from this passage. God wants to bless you. But let me be very clear. He wants to bless you by Christ. By having a relationship with him. Listen. Hear, hear it from me first. Being a Christian is not a guaranteed promise that your life will be better. Matter of fact, I know a lot of Christians, their life gets worse. Talked about all the Christians in the Middle East who, get, who die for their faith every day, right? There's no promise your life will get better. But here's the thing. God is blessing us through Christ that we can have resurrection and eternal life. And so the more we go on the next couple of weeks, we'll see how God is going to use this family to draw us to the person of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that in Jesus we can be blessed. And Lord, I, I ask that these students, Lord, uh, oh Lord, I do pray these students would come to see Jesus, that a life in Christ is a life that is truly at rest and that has peace and that has harmony and that a life in Christ is truly a life that is blessed. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who initiates in our relationship. God, you call us. So help us respond to you by faith. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.